Hello, hello, and welcome to the Rock Metal Podcast. I'm your host, John Harris, and today on Rock Metal Podcast, we have Carcass. They have a new album called Torn Arteries, which is released on September 17th via Nuclear Blast Records. Right now, I'm being joined by Jeff to share some more information about this stellar release, his killer bass tone. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, how to dance. So, Jeff, welcome to the show. Hello, Mr. Harris. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Great to have you on. A real pleasure indeed. Now, a couple of things I wanted to ask first off, just a big, wide brushstroke of a question. Is Torn Artery's seventh studio album, eight years since Surgical Steel. What did you guys set out to do with this record? Fulfill our contract with Nuclear Blast. <laughs> no. No, I mean, we see, actually, when we signed... The, the uh, label they actually gave it, it was a two-album two deal or with an option, and uh, I think it was just a case of uh, yeah, let's let's make another album. I mean, it's as simple as that, you know. Um, I don't think we set out to achieve anything except make. We tried to well, we set out to make a great carcass album. I'm not sure if we've achieved that. I think we managed to make a good one. I'm not sure it's great, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we made uh, you know we made a good strong uh, carcass album, and that's all we've really set out to achieve. We've not set out to revolutionize music or change the world um, we just wanted to make an album that hopefully pleases our uh, small legion of fans you know mm-hmm. exactly which is part of the reason that you're able to live in a castle in the highlands because that's it, exactly yeah. mm-hmm. cool now something you mentioned was you know making a great carcass album and uh maybe maybe just a bit in jest but i'm i'm curious uh from your perspective what goes into crafting a great carcass song or a great carcass album? If I knew, then we would we would use that magic and create it. <laughs> I, mean, I couldn't tell you. I mean, it's uh, everything's subjective, isn't it? So, I mean, if, if if you just look at our streaming on Spotify, I mean, the song that has the most streams is Heartwork, and I don't personally think that's our best album, our best song. But uh, there it is in black and white with the stats, so you can't argue. Um, so. What I might consider a good carcass track might not be to any someone else's tastes or to their palate. So um, it's not for me to say, you know. I, I really couldn't tell you. If, if I knew it, if I could bottle it, I would sell it. This is very true. Instead, you're bottling and selling music, which is, you know, I guess its own or, thing. Or sweat. Or sweat. Yeah, that could work. Uh, used bass strings, you could sell that. It's got all the sweat. Well, this is where we're going wrong. We really should be bottling our own beer and selling that like every other band does, but uh, <laughs> maybe we should start selling tea bags. I don't think any band's done that yet. No. Tea. Yeah, exactly. What What is your tea of choice? Um, whatever's on offer. Whatever's cheap. Actually, I have to drink, deca- I drink decaffeinated, uh, decaffeinated uh, tea now. How lame is that? I, wow, that's a sign of... Dare I say age, Jeff? Getting... Uh, I, it's a sign of high, alleged high blood pressure, which I don't believe in, but uh, not taking any chances. But do, do you, I mean, it's no wonder I, I was diagnosed with high blood pressure because I think when, when I went to the doctor that morning, I'd had six cups of tea before I went in and I'd been on the on the piss the night before. So, you know what I mean? No wonder I had I had high blood pressure when they tested me. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Sodium levels probably through the roof, all kinds of things that just, you know. Yeah, you know, you try and cut everything out, though, none of it works, so uh, why bother? Exactly. Okay, well, actually, you bring up a really interesting one because, you know, as I was doing some research for the interview, not like I really had to do a whole lot, but obviously you mentioned heart work. Heart work always comes up. That's kind of a fun one. Surgical steel, I know, comes up quite a bit. Um, 
I guess where do you feel your favorite record is? What's your favorite one to perform anyway, I guess? Um, well, there's a difference between what my... Uh, if I had to admit what my favorite album is, I'd probably say Symphony is the second album. Um, I, I mean, I, I love the tracks we play live because I can play them with, with blindfolded and it's I like to cruise and take it easy. And uh, There's no particular album that I like to perform songs from, you know? It's... Uh, I think the songs that we choose to perform live are the. I think the the best songs. You know what I mean? It's uh, there's a reason why we play them live. Yeah. What goes into a crafting a set list? And that's kind of a broad question because it kind of depends what you guys are playing with. But what would go into a set list? I think it's the songs that we're used to playing live. <laughs> I don't think uh, we like to throw any real curveballs in the. It's the songs that we know we can. There's some songs that we've never played live. Um. And it's, I don't think we ever will, you know. It's, I think it's songs that we think work well in a live environment. There's definitely songs that are too kind of, you know, um, spastic sounding. Is that, can I get away with sound, saying that? Is that politically incorrect? But you know what I mean? They're, they're too kind of quirky and too odd and going off on a tangent that they really, you know, it's like, it's not jazz, but it's, you know, it's just too kind of, crazy that they don't really work well in a live environment and we've learned to our cost that trying to play these songs live doesn't work so we, we you know we, we, we test to we, we tend to stick to what we know is tried and tested and what works well yeah now that kind of brings up an interesting thing writing songs playing them live seeing how they react has that over time gone into changing how you guys write songs maybe on this new album it has I think I think Bill has definitely taken cues from a couple of tours that we've done by watching certain bands who we will not let will not name due to causing him some embarrassment but uh he has a one eye on watching how certain parts of other bands songs have gone down live and took some stylistic cues from that you know i'm not ashamed to say so it's, it's not normally something that we really concern ourselves with you know where is is someone going to like this song? How how is it going to go down live? Not only is the case of we just record something and then we worry about playing it live later. You know, it's not something we normally are too considerate of. You know, it's uh, you know it's a case of is this does this sound good? Yeah, great. We worry about can we actually play it live later? <laughs> now that takes me. I mentioned in the beginning uh, the bass tone. Can you tell us about your your bass tone on this record? Uh, nothing too exciting. I think it was uh, probably just an Ampeg amp using. I actually used the same bass that I used on Surgical Steel, which was uh, a 1980s Mexican made Fender Precision, which I borrowed off Leo Smee. And Leo Smee is uh, famous for being the one of the bass players in Cathedral. He's very kindly lent me his guitar, which is a good, solid guitar to record albums with. And I think as far as pedals are concerned, uh, I normally use a Sans amp, but I couldn't tell that I used it in the studio. Not sure what pedal I used in the studio. It could have been a Sans amp. But um, it was an Ampeg amp. I can't remember the model. It was, I think it's one of those modern reissues of the kind of classic head. So, uh, yeah, kind of... Uh, 
pretty simple, you know, belts and braces, solid, trustworthy kind of, you know, setup. Um, pretty, you know, Fender Precision Precisions are really good for uh, recording with. It's, it, I don't use one live, but uh, they give out a really good sound in the studio. This brings up a uh, kind of interesting question. Live then, how does that change for your tone? I mean, because that when you put anything under the microscope, under the microscope in the studio, um, it's a lot different from playing live. You know, you really you get anal retentive about how something sounds. So the Fender just sounds a lot better than the bass I use live. That's as simple as that. But <laughs> the the bass I play live looks cool. <laughs> well, that's definitely you know you got to look cool, and that's always more important as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean you got a mosh pit in front of you of uh you know people who are questionably conscious and they want to look and, up and the bass play the bass play live is heavier so if i have to hit anyone around the head with it then you know it does more damage this is true this is good and you sell them off to kelly's meat emporium that's the one it's close but it's clo- sadly it's closed down now it used to be a shop around the corner from me it's, it's gone now sadly oh is that like a covid thing no, it's pre-COVID actually. It was it was there. He had a really good reputation as one one of the. Best. It was in a local paper for being in the top ten of butcher shops, and then one day I noticed it was boarded up, and now sadly yeah, it's gone. Wow, I wonder if the publicity got them so much business that it was the blessing that took them out. No, I think it, they probably got a visit off the, uh, the the local council health inspectors and got shut down. Mm. <laughs> Well, then, that's a different story altogether. I'm curious, though, what, what what inspired writing a track about that? I guess it just it fits the record. I mean, the, song, the song title itself is more symbolic. It's, the song is not about a butcher shop. It's more to do with death and the inevitability of it. And I think it's symbolic because um, it's a sign of the times that that shop closed and just died a death. So... I like the fact that it's um, it, it was kind of a local institution to me uh, in Liverpool, and I like the kind of having the kind of Beatles, Kinks references to something quite essential English. So, uh, yeah, some of the titles are a bit more avant-garde. I mean, uh, on this record, you know, not to be taken literally, uh, but a bit more playful. So, well, they definitely are. I mean, I was looking at the track listing, and I was wondering how much of this, you know. Like well, I mean, for example, you mentioned the Beatles. We've got Eleanor Rigamortis, which would be a a jazzy little callback to. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a lovely title that Ken or Bill came up in the eighties that they thought it was too stupid to use, and I thought, yeah, why not? <laughs> you know, I liked the title and like having that connection to the past, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's a fun one. You know, you guys are right up there with the Beatles and the Kinks, and you just you know. Oh, yeah, we're as classic, you know, as those bands, you know. <laughs> Everybody hangs out with each other. You're probably just hanging out with Ringo the other day, I bet. Yeah, if only I could get to Los Angeles, then of course I would be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's lived in Liverpool for like <laughs> 60 years, you know. <laughs> Is it a place that you wouldn't want to live in? Los I, Angeles or Liverpool? Uh, Liverpool, I've never been. I, I, I live in Liverpool. I'm, I'm not sure if I want to live in Liverpool, but I do. <laughs> I mean, to be to be fair, it, it's okay here, and, and the airport's not too far away, so, you know. Yeah. Now, is the record then, you mentioned, you know, death and inevitability, is there, like, a theme that ties this record together, or is it just... these? It's, are the- it's not a concept album, I mean, it's kind of... The theme is, 
the restrictions placed on Carcass. I mean, all Carcass for the most part, the songs are about death and gore and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's the theme. The themes are just pure Carcass, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, I could have looked this up myself, but I figure you're here, so I'll ask out of pure ignorance: What is Ixtab, or who is Ixtab, and why are we dancing? She's the main goddess of uh, suicide by hanging, and uh, she's trying to seduce you. She's playing a game of hangman with you. You know the game hangman with pen and paper. Mm-hmm. She's trying to beat you. She's trying to entice you with a sexualized dance to see if she can take you with you, and it's up to you whether you can defeat her or not. Wow, kind of like a siren of the sea, but a little bit different. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, now I understand. That's dark. Every carcass song is dark, isn't it? There's always, a, there's, always a com- there's always comedic undertones. I mean, there's so many references in that song to lap dancing moves. It's unbelievable. It's kind of, uh, that's why it's kind of a stripper song, you know? Yeah, lyrical genius, we'll call it. Or stupidity, depends on uh, where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Very true. And I see that it's in the key of B, so that's kind of one that came... I mean, I, I mean Bill, of course, being pedantic, uh, to correct me, it's actually in A, but uh, we're oh. tuned to B, so it, I'm saying B. Okay. All right, so tuned to B, key of A. Now, I'm curious, because uh, that one came up, obviously, when I was doing all the research. You guys were the forefronters. I don't know about that, really, but, um, you know, tuning down really low but sounding super tight. Um Obviously, that's been a mainstay. Silly question. Why is that, Jeff? For vocals? Why would, Why did we tune to B? Yeah. Uh, because Bill was playing in Napalm Breath at the time. I think they were dropped C or something like that. And we just thought, let's be heavier than you know, all our contemporaries, you know, Napalm or Death or Morbid Angel or whoever. We thought... Let's let's go to B and B makes sense because it's you know it's one octave below a concert pitch so that's why we went that way. It, it musically makes sense. So no, it's not to do. We just in that kind of stupidity, teenage idiot idiot idiocy. We thought it just sounded heavier and it does sound heavier. You know, I mean, why do you think almost every modern metal band tunes to B now? You know, um, I mean, true. I'm not. I'm not being a, a braggart or whatever, but we set a standard. I mean, uh, the, I mean, the only the only per- person I know that uh, the only pe- artist I can think before that that would, would tune to be would be someone like Lead Belly, the blues guitarist, which was ac- accidental. I mean, uh, there were probably jazz musicians that we never heard, and there's probably and I know there's baritone guitars, but as far as rock and roll is concerned, we were definitely the originators because. Even when I've Googled it, I can't find any other band that was doing this in 1986. And I know of which bands we influenced that we, that then went on to influence modern uh, metal. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet, but there you go. <laughs> I mean, we've never got rich out of this, and we never get the credit for it, but the, there is our impact on modern music, for mm. better or worse. Yeah, well, I, mean, I, I think there's definitely some credit there, doing some research uh, especially into heart work and surgical steel, you know, what's the, what's the guitar tone on it? And then, um, I think actually one of the missed points is the fact that it's tuned down to B because people are trying to do it in standard tuning and like, it doesn't sound that heavy. I'm like, well, kind of up a fifth from where you I need mean, to we, be. I mean, we, I mean, we, we put, uh, the PV5150 on the map as well. Um, the, the Van Halen amp, uh, we would, mm-hmm. we definitely weren't imitating anyone. I mean, we were probably the first band in the studio in, the, in Europe or the UK to use the amp, and now everyone uses, you know, uh, the 
whatever the replacement was, the you know the PV six hundred five or whatever, or you know the or the Fender fifty one fifty. So, uh, but we don't get any like royalties from uh, Fender or PV oh. as a thank you. Oh. <laughs> we do get we do get free amps off Fender though. So thank you very much. Well, that's that's good. And I, I read that it was a uh, Marshall Governor that was boosting the fifty one fifty. Yeah, well, there was also Mar- there was also a Marshall Jubilee blended into the mix as well. I mean, there was a lot of studio trickery that went into that guitar tone and artwork. A lot of uh, graph. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of uh, pre-graphic equalizers and post-graphic equalizers. But to be in all honesty, the biggest secret was was the mixing desk mm-hmm. because. Um, even though we tracked the album in the main studio in in a studio called Par Streets in Liverpool, we we were really finding it hard to get a good guitar sound. So what we did is we went to the small demo studio where we recorded a demo, which was upstairs. You know, it was a che- the cheapest cheapest studio. We went upstairs and we got the guitar sound instantly. And what's funny is a lot of bands went to that studio afterwards, and they never re and probably because because. The producer Colin Richardson didn't remember it himself, but the secret to that guitar sound was the desk. It wasn't a very, you know, it wasn't an SSL, wasn't a neat desk that we were using downstairs. I can't remember what model it was. It was a kind of relatively cheaper desk, and uh, that was the secret to that guitar sound. And uh, no other band could recapture the glory of it because they didn't go to the studio where the actual studio where we recorded you know the guitar tracks yeah so there you go yeah There's a bit of insightful information yeah. and no one can go there now because Par Street Studios is being sold and demolished oh shuckles yeah preamps are important for anybody who is listening in right now and you're in a band and you think preamps aren't important they are very important in the studio, yes. In the studio, so not, yes. In li- live, not necessarily. No. No. Uh, now, something I, I came across in the Rolling Stone interview that you did was you'll describe the album as dad rock, and I'm a dad, so I appreciate that. Um, maybe go a little bit further into that. This Is it this album we're chatting about that's dad rock? The, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's written by a couple of guys in the 50s. Good, uh, but, you know... Dan's thirty-two. He's a dad. He's a dad with two kids. I mean, obviously, that's a tongue-in-cheek thing, and I say that just to piss Bill off, I guess. Um, but there's a lot of classic rock influences on this album, even though you know it's still. A, it's, I'd like to still. It's got still got its elements of, or its streak of abrasiveness and nastiness. But, uh, there's definitely a lot of kind of um, those kind of classic bands that we like sneaking in there you know so i mean that's why i've described it as dad rock I mean. <laughs> well i mean i think a relevant side to two relevant questions is do you guys approach making the records differently now than when you were younger or is it kind of just still the same i think it's just still the same you know um yeah does it surprise you at all to be in the outfit that you're in, I mean, still, still up to this day. It doesn't surprise me. There's a inevitability about it. <laughs> I don't, I don't wake up and pinch myself. Like, I, I guess I, I kind of take it for granted, but I don't. I appreciate the position I'm in, but um, it just feels natural, you know. Um, it's just, yeah, it just is what it is, you know. It's not, I don't 
give it too much consideration. Groovy. All right. So today we chatted about what goes into a strong carcass album and record and that uh, the top Spotify tracks were even surprising you. Um, We chatted about decaf tea and high blood pressure. We chatted about Ampeg amps and 1980s Mexican Fender Precision basses. We even snuck uh, Ringo and the Beatles and the Kinks in there and a little chat about Liverpool. Um, we chatted about Ixtab, who she is, what she's up to these days, and the dance of Ixtab. We chatted about Kelly's Meat Emporium and how it's a real place that shut down pre-COVID, probably because of the health inspector. <laughs> chatted about Torn Arteries, which is a really cool display of uh, a vegetable platter as well. Um, that's actually kind of cool. How did you guys... Uh, make that. I guess somebody did some still photography of, of vegetables rotting over time? Yeah, it's an artist. Um, his surname's Bilak. He's a Polish guy. I mean, people would would know him from... He normally does the artwork for the band Ghost. Um, and what I think what's cool is it's taken him kind of out of his comfort zone because it looks nothing like any other art he normally does, as far as I'm aware. So... Um, yeah, he, he really pulled off a really cool piece. And, yeah, the idea was to imitate Japanese... Um, I can't remember the bloody... Um, Kuzotsu art, which is, you know, watching the decay and death of... Uh, normally it's a beautiful woman, but in this case it's the vegetable uh, heart. So I thought it'd be a cool thing just for him to do a, a time-lapse thing, you know, with the thing decay. People expect death and decay with carcass, so... You know, we're giving it to them, literally on a plate, you know. Uh, only this time it's uh, the human heart, but in the form of vegetables. That's Just right. A pl- it's a, a that whole kind of, people seem to think Harkis is a vegan bullshit band. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're playing up to those kind of, <laughs> yeah. you know, th- those strengths or weaknesses, depending on your position. Mm-hmm. Very true. Okay. Or just a decaf tea kind of band. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, groovy. Is there anything that I missed? Speaking of fulfilling contracts, did management, did I miss anything that management said we were supposed to chat about, Jeff? I think you've covered everything you need to, John. I mean, otherwise you're going to go insane. This is very true. Very true. Awesome. So, everybody listening in, you're on Apple Podcasts, you're on Spotify, you're watching on YouTube, or you're on the website, therockmetalpodcast.ca. Torn Arteries, released on September 17th via Nuclear Blast Records, available everywhere you consume music. If you come to today's show notes, or down below, wherever you're listening, should be today's show notes. There's going to be a couple of links to some videos that are available, such as the Dance of Tab with some lovely artwork. As well as a link to the band's Facebook page so you can stay in touch if you are not already. So, Jeff, that concludes my questions. Thank you so much for coming on to the Rock Metal Podcast today. John, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>